First off, welcome everybody to the first episode of the All Time High podcast. Um, my name is General Moore, and I'm going to be talking to you guys about something I find really interesting, <clears throat> and that is decentralized finance. So today's episode is called The Arrival of the Monetary Revolution, and I'm going to be talking to you guys about why um, decentralized finance is important and basically how it's going to change the future. So first off, uh, I think I'm going to be starting everything out with a little bit of news. So um, just to catch you guys up on kind of what's been going on over the last week. Um, some really cool stuff has been happening. Um, first off, a company called MicroStrategy, their business intel- business intelligence company, uh, run by a well-known CEO, uh, Michael Saylor. They held their World.Now conference this past week, and they basically released their playbook uh, for the corporate Bitcoin investor. And over 1,500 institutional investors attended the conference, and that is a really good sign for not just Bitcoin, but uh, the future of crypto as a whole. Um, you know, it's a little ironic because we're kind of waiting for these institutional investments, but ultimately this is going to kind of take power away from those institutions. And we're, we're going to talk more about that uh, in a little bit. Uh, also, Visa announced plans to help their customers buy uh, and sell digital assets. So this is another huge step for adoption. Uh, you know, obviously Visa is one of the biggest payment providers. Uh, in the US, so that's going to provide a really good platform for a lot of new people to get involved. Um, lastly, PayPal. Uh, PayPal is now going to let merchants accept crypto across their, you know, some 29 million vendors uh, on the internet, which is, again, huge, huge uh, step in the right direction. Uh, I don't know if I would really want to be spending my crypto right now because I just kind of want to hold it, uh, but it's nevertheless uh, kind of shows how, how things are moving in the right direction. So. Let's talk about decentralized finance. What is DeFi? Now, sorry for my crude drawing. I don't have the best thing here, so my penmanship is not going to be fantastic. But DeFi stands for decentralized finance. Now, this is a concept that basically means that we are doing financial transactions and stuff in a way that uh, has no intermediary, no third party, no middleman, right? So right now our financial system is heavily centralized. Uh, You have the US dollar, oh my god, which is controlled by the Federal Reserve, right? So the Federal Reserve basically decides interest rates, they decide uh, if and when they're going to print more US dollars, and Everybody who uses the US dollar is basically at their will, right? So this, you know, below them, you're going to have the banks, hedge funds, stuff like that. And these, these, even these parties have considerable control. Um, they, they can really alter the way that markets work, uh, financially speaking. You know, the banks, you don't even really own your, your money with the banks. Um, the bank owns your money. You just give it to them for safekeeping, and then they, in you know, exchange, they're going to lend it out. They're going to give it to other people, and then they're going to pay you like I don't know, half a percent. Kind of a shit deal, honestly. And then we've got the hedge funds, who you know, if you were paying attention to the events in the last couple of weeks, severely manipulated the stock market, and have been doing so for a very long time uh, at the expense of the retail investor and uh, the middle class. So. 
it's just we don't we don't have a lot of control over what we do with our money right now and how we spend it if the bank doesn't want you to spend money they can just say you can't um <clears throat> kind of something that was happening back more so in like 2018 when all this stuff was running up is banks were saying you can't buy crypto if you have money in our bank we're not going to let you do it because it's risky and they don't want you to spend money in anything that's risky and and risk losing funds that's crazy to me um anybody being able or having the ability to tell me that I can't spend my money the way I want to is is kind of wild. So um, these things really happen. Uh, the Federal Reserve, like I said, they can print money at will. Uh, if they need to inject a bunch of money into the economy for whatever reason, which, you know, stuff that's been happening lately, obviously with COVID-19, uh, they can just make more. And this is really damaging to the value of the US dollar because if you just print more money, the supply keeps going up and the value of every dollar is gonna go down. So there is great power in these centralized authorities that make the rules. Uh, we can try and follow the rules as best we can, but these people make the rules to the game. And if we start to play the game in a way that they don't like, they change the rules, right? So let's get back to DeFi. <clears throat> And DeFi <clears throat> will basically allow you to send your money where you want, um, how you want, and you can invest how you want. It, it truly is a representation of um, the freedom of money in a lot of ways. Uh, some of the highlights, to me, it is cheaper, or will be, it is more efficient. I apologize for my penmanship. It is safer and it is more direct, right? Cheaper because operating or running transactions on the blockchain, fundamentally speaking, will be cheaper. You know, you'll be able to send, let's say it's a million dollars or one dollar uh, for hopefully the same cost. And hopefully that cost being, you know, pennies, right? It's more efficient. Um, you know, all these inter intermediaries and third parties uh, that that your money touches um, just makes it a little bit, it just makes it less efficient. Um, you know, you send a bank transfer to somewhere, you've got to wait three to five days or whatever for it to clear. Uh, so you can't even spend that money. Your money is now like locked in a transaction that is, you're just waiting for it to, to be finished. Ultimately, this will be safer. Um, the blockchain is a unhackable network. And the only way that you're really going to lose your funds is user error. Oops. So if you make a, make a mistake, maybe it's not as safe. But in terms of the overall network security, it is. And it's more direct. I can send money from point A to point B, and that's it. So if I want to send money to my friend, to my family, to an employer, or rather, other way around, um, it's going to go straight there. Uh, nothing else is going to happen. It's not going to touch anything in between. So <clears throat> who is this for? Um, you know, I think a lot of people might feel like, okay, well, you know, who is decentralized finance for? Is it for the wealthy people? Is it for middle class, for people who are poor? And the answer is all of the above. Um, it is for everybody. And I think that this is something that people really need to understand is that centralized finance is not really for everybody. It's, it's for the 1%. It's the people who make the rules. And that's why those people have been able to stay in power and um, stay so wealthy for so long is because they they control how everything works. So you might also think right now, 
oh, well, you know, I can't afford a Bitcoin. That's $40,000. I can't afford Ethereum. It's $1,700. Uh, that's where you're wrong. Um, you can buy any fraction of pretty much any crypto out there, depending on how they're structured. Um, so up to nine decimal places, you can own Bitcoin. You can have 0.00000001 of a Bitcoin if you want. So you can make those regular investments. You can continue to kind of build on that foundation, which I think is really, really valuable, right? And that money is hopefully going to appreciate over time. You might also think, well, I don't need that. I live in the U.S. The dollar is, is somewhat stable, and I know how to invest my money already. So why would I need this? Um, I think that's a really bad way to look at it because ultimately speaking, I think long-term um, centralized institutions are gonna lose a lot of power, which also means that the US dollar might lose a lot of power. And that means your pur purchasing power could go down. Um, obviously nobody wants that. I think putting money in something like decentralized finance, um, you have a more honest system. It's uh, what they call trustless. And the hope is that over time that all that money is gonna appreciate and that you're gonna have a better financial reserve for your future. Blockchain doesn't discriminate. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. If I am a user running on the platform, it sees me as a number. Uh, it doesn't see me as my identity. It doesn't see me as a marketing professional or a rich person or a poor person. Person, <clears throat> My identity is absent of my class status on the, on the blockchain network. So I think that's a really powerful concept. You can find a really nice picture of dollar depreciation on Google. Yeah, actually, uh, it's something that I've been researching a little bit more lately. And the dollar has been steadily just getting crazily inflated over the last several years. I went back to check just to, out of curiosity uh, how much the dollar has inflated in the last, I think it was 10 or 11 years. And I think it was 21%. 21%. I don't know about you guys, but I don't think wages have gone up 21%. <laughs> at least not for for middle america and lower um so there's a there's a big growing disparity uh the wealth inequality problem is already very significant and it's only getting worse uh over the the course of the pandemic it's been the greatest uh transfer of wealth that the world has ever seen and not in a in the good way that we want it's it's been transfer of wealth up to the top i mean you can go and see how much Bezos has made off of Amazon. I mean, Amazon has just absolutely gone bonkers since the pandemic began. It's part of the reason why the wealth gap continues to grow. Exactly. And we're not really doing anything to fix it, right? Um, even now, you know, there's all this this hype around what the hedge funds have done with GameStop and Robinhood and it's already starting to die down a little bit. We're not really talking about it anymore. And that's a huge problem. We're not making these people pay for these monumental um mistakes that they're making and they're they're fucking over a lot of people a lot of people lost a lot of money so <clears throat> moving on uh we can talk about the different modes of DeFi. i guess is what i would call it this is more so like the different types of um, platforms and stuff you would find in decentralized finance so uh you have decentralized exchanges first And this is uh, very similar to stocks, right? Stock market. So on decentralized exchanges, you can go on and you can trade currency. There are tons of different trading pairs for different kinds of cryptos. <clears throat> and this is completely decentralized. 
Uh, there's nobody running the exchange. There's nobody that makes the rules for the exchange. There's nobody that can halt trading because they don't like the way that the price is trending. Um, this really is a completely democratized way of trading assets, right? And you can actually earn money by participating in how these exchanges work. So you can do things like provide liquidity to the different trading pairs, and you can earn additional coins both off of the um, trading fees and doing something called yield farming. Oops. You can also participate in the process by holding the token. So, um, you know, examples of this pro of projects like this are Uniswap. I recommend checking out, or um, DYDX. These are both decentralized exchanges. So, if I own Uniswap token, I can vote on how the govern or how the platform is going to evolve. So, it's called governance. So, if somebody proposes a new upgrade to Uniswap, the entire community or Uniswap holders can go and vote on whether or not that upgrade is going to take place. It's a very, very powerful concept. I mean, now if I was using, you know, Binance or, or Coinbase, they still technically control what the trading activity, um, you know, what, what trading activity is going on on their platform. This is entirely democratized, right? Uh, would that be like Coinbase Kraken? Yeah, exactly. It's like Coinbase or Kraken or Binance, but actually decentralized, right? So actually owned and operated by the users and the token holders of the network. It's really cool stuff. So uh, another type, I think I'm going to run out of room on my thing. Oh, let's do this. Uh, another type are lending and borrowing platforms. Uh, your real-world equivalent is basically a bank. <clears throat> you can go on these lending and borrowing platforms and you can do a couple different things. You can, you know, give out loans. You can take loans um, and pay them back over time. You have to put up some, some form of collateral, collateral, and then you can take out X amount of dollars and go spend them somewhere else. Then obviously you have to pay it back. If you provide liquidity as a lender, you can earn really high yields uh, in terms in interest. So right now, you can go on pretty much any of these platforms and um, get somewhere, I'd say, between 5 and 20% interest. And what I find really fascinating about this is that I don't need to do this with Ethereum or Bitcoin or a volatile asset. I can go and purchase something like USD coin or USDC. Um, this is a stable coin, and they call them stable coins because the they're designed for the value to not fluctuate very much. So in order to do that, they basically back this by a U.S. dollar reserve. So if I go and I hold USD coin, <clears throat> if I have a thousand dollars in USD coin, my thousand dollars is going to be a thousand dollars tomorrow, the day after that, and the day after that. And you can take your USD coin and go lend it on a platform and earn anywhere between 5 and 20% on that on those dollars. This is a really really powerful concept because right now if you go to the bank, if you go check what your interest rate is, it's probably something like half a percent. Now, you know, maybe 5% doesn't sound like the biggest number in the world, but that's a uh, 100 times more than half a percent. 
So you can continue to scale that up. $10,000, $20,000, $100,000, and you are always gonna earn these rates. Um, this is This could be huge for people. Uh, people will be able to live off interest of their money if they so choose, um, you know, if you have enough money, but depending. So would these stable coins and their dollar backing be parallel by the gold standard back in the day? Yeah, it's similar. Um, you know, if you buy USDC, this is, uh, I think, owned by Coinbase. So you're basically trusting Coinbase that they've got your uh, reserve dollars, right? What are some examples of these lending platforms? I was actually just going to get to that. Thank you for asking. Um, <clears throat> great ones to check out that are actually decentralized. Aave is a good one. Compound Finance is another one. And uh, MakerDAO. Is, these are probably the top three right now. Do you know anyone who has personal experience using these lending borrowing techniques? Um, yeah, me. <laughs> I have not yet, but you know, I will say I haven't gotten to do it on any of these three platforms yet. And those are because of um, high gas fees on the Ethereum network right now. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in a little bit when we get to um, kind of the, the downsides of DeFi right now. But um, <clears throat> there are some good, more centralized platforms that you can try out if you kind of want to get, um, you know, a bit of an entry level on what this stuff is like. So uh, BlockFi is a great resource, I think. Um, you can go... And right now, I think if you hold USDC, you get 8.6% back. Um, this is a more centralized authority. This is owned by the Gemini Exchange, so the Winklevoss twins. Uh, they own this company. And I think more or less you can trust your, your funds there. So you can go on there and you can actually buy, uh, you can buy, I think, I think you can only buy Gemini USD, but you can convert it to USDC. Either way, whatever stablecoin you have, I think they all earn 8.6% on that platform. So this is a great way to get an intro into it. Long term, I absolutely want to be on Aave or Compound Finance or MakerDAO, but um, I'm just waiting for an Ethereum upgrade basically to do that. How are these interest rates determined? And why is it that they orders magnitude higher than the bond yields, etc.? Basically, the interest rates are variable, so they are determined based off of market conditions. So it is a matter of how much liquidity there is and how much demand there is. So if a lot of people are borrowing money on the platform and demand gets really high and supply gets low and there's not a lot of liquidity, interest rates are going to go up to incentivize people to basically come in and provide more liquidity to the pool so that people can, can continue borrowing and using uh, the currency. Um, I don't know exactly why it is that there are orders of magnitude higher than traditional uh, yields. I think it's just a function of how the network is designed and basically how those um, different smart contracts have been designed to determine those market rates. Perfect. So even the lending process regulates itself. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty wild. All this stuff is actually automated. One thing I forgot to mention when we were talking about um, decentralized exchanges is uh, they have what are called um, automated market makers. So everything that's happening on in the background, what's determining you know price changes and yield rates, all that is automated. There's nobody sitting back there basically making a decision to change things. It's all based off market conditions. So you don't need a central custodian. You don't need a third party. You don't need anybody to manage those funds because they're going either to the platform or to another user. It's pretty cool stuff. So the next one I want to talk about 
uh, are aggregators. These ones I think are really fucking cool, um, but they're really new. So I wouldn't really recommend playing with any of these yet, but I think they're really neat. So aggregators, you have um, stuff like urine.finance, and also uh, token sets. I don't know if token sets are officially an aggregator, but it's kind of how I would call it. Uh, maybe we'll go into this later, but I've recently learned that option trading is now available on cryptocurrencies. How do you think this will affect the market? Uh, and then we also have, there were ones that were recently hacked. No, yes, you're not finance. They weren't hacked. Uh, there was an exploit, and I'll, I'll go into that in a second. And um, with regards to uh, Heike's question, option trading is available. Um, that is another market of uh, fist, you know, like derivatives and options. Um, those things are also starting to come out. I don't know enough about derivatives and options to give you like a really good answer. Um, it's on my reading list, but I'm going to be exploring those markets as well uh, very shortly in the future. So we have aggregators. <clears throat> um, so you're not finance is essentially a platform that is going to try and earn you the highest yield rate across the DeFi ecosystem, right? So what it's going to do is basically say, okay, you're going to put in your money. So let's say I put in USD coin. Your dot finance is going to go to the Aves, to the, to the compounds. And it's basically going to find uh, the highest interest rates that are available and move your money between them, right? So that you're constantly getting the highest yield possible. Uh, they also are going to be doing uh, stuff like this with yield farming and all kinds of different stuff. So uh, this is basically a, a way that the entire ecosystem is going to operate together. I think aggregators is a really fascinating concept because it, to me, kind of shows that the entire ecosystem in itself is not necessarily in competition. They might kind of all be working in lockstep, in other words. So Cole Korn uh, mentions that Dot Finance was recently hacked. They weren't really hacked, um, but there was an exploit. So this is one of the big dangers when uh, we are working with uh, DeFi platforms right now, is that user error is still a thing. Oops. So because user error is still a thing, even though the blockchain technology itself, the Ethereum network itself, is not exploitable or hackable, smart contracts that people deploy on top of them that are written by people sometimes are not perfect. So every once in a while, you might have an exploit in the code that somebody is, uh, is going to be able to abuse and make a lot of money. So this happened um, just this past week. You're not finance. Somebody discovered an exploit with their flash loans is what it's called. And basically, this person just took out like an endless amount of flash loans and did some crazy magic wizardry stuff and made like millions and millions and millions of dollars so <clears throat> again this is the danger right now um it's part of what it means to be an early adopter to be an early user is that sometimes you run into these problems right so token sets is another example that is similar to an aggregator it's not quite the same i think um but anyways i'm just going to talk about it and what it is you can go on token sets and you can basically find different types of uh, portfolios to invest in. So there is a, actually there's a DeFi index on token sets, it's pretty cool. 
and basically it holds you know a small amount across the DeFi ecosystem so there's Aave in there there's Uniswap um, I think Compound and Maker are also in the index so you can purchase the index instead of the individual coins themselves um, and basically count on that appreciation um, there are also social trading sets on token sets basically individual people or influencers quote unquote that'll go on there basically create their own portfolio and your money will move with how they make their trades so it's kind of an automated way to invest and, and do trading. So some of these are more simple um, and they'll hold something like just Ethereum and USDC and it'll rebalance when, um, you know, let's say Ethereum is, is kind of taking a nosedive. It'll rebalance the fund, put it all into USDC and wait until uh, the market is safe to basically enter again. So <clears throat> this stuff is really cool. I think that this is this could represent a big part of the future. Uh, we just kind of have to see on how they develop. Right now, it's kind of hard to participate because of high gas fees and stuff. So last one, I kind of mentioned it. I'm not even really going to write it out because I don't know enough about it yet, but fixed income rate markets, uh, things like derivatives and options, um, different ways to trade and uh, use assets. Those are also being worked on, so you can check out. I think um, one is called Melon. This is basically a decentralized hedge fund. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back into this a little bit later as well. But, <clears throat> you know, this is an interesting concept in itself, um, you know, especially considering that hedge funds right now have so much control. If you decentralize it, then, you know, they don't really have that same kind of uh, effect. So how can DeFi help wealth inequality? Well, some people might say, aren't the wealthy just going to stay wealthy? Um, possibly. But really what this represents um i don't really want to say that you're gonna you're gonna suddenly make a ton of money or you know suddenly poor people are gonna be rich people it's not really the point this is an even playing field we don't have an even playing field right now we are playing uh in a game that is designed to not benefit us and that's a problem do the derivatives directly follow the existing equity market i.e black skulls model for options pricing etc um I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not familiar enough with that to comment on it right now, but I will take your question. I will write it down and I will put it in my reading list and I will try and answer it next time if that's cool. Um, so like I said, this is representing an, an equal playing field for us. So something that I think was really interesting, I saw a comment, um, you know, and I was, we're just talking about the decentralized hedge funds. Uh, somebody said on Twitter, I think it was Chamath, uh, I don't know how to say his last name. Uh, he said that Currently, Wall Street Bets is the world's largest, uh, largest hedge fund, something like that. Think about how much gravity that has, how much power that has. Um, you know, somebody that could challenge the actual traditional hedge funds, hedge funds these days, um, in a democratic way. That to me is pretty incredible. I think that uh, we can definitely see stuff like that in the future. So stuff like melons, stuff like token sets will enable us to kind of even that playing field to play that same game without trying, you know, without having to be a institutional traditional investor or somebody that operates or runs a hedge fund. Um, you know, together we can make the rules. Together we can decide how those things are going to evolve and you know what trades we're going to make, what what investments we're going to make, and that to me is really really awesome. Uh, another way that we can kind of mitigate wealth inequality is storing value in something that is not an inflationary asset like the US dollar. So fundamentally speaking, Bitcoin is a deflationary currency. 
which means that over time, the uh, supply is going to increase very slightly and then it's going to cap out. Once it hits uh, 21 million Bitcoins, so I'll write this out for you guys. Oops. So Bitcoin will ever only have 21 million Bitcoin. And I think the final Bitcoin is going to be mined in 2140. So in other words, the supply is not going up very fast. In fact, hardly at all. And as that time goes on, its price continues to rise. So as Bitcoin continues to rise, um, it basically becomes more scarce and more valuable over time. Uh, the Federal Reserve can't print more Bitcoin if they want. They can't just inject more money into the economy. This is the supply and this is what, how it's always gonna be. Um, they are also working on ways to make Ethereum deflationary. I don't know if it's gonna work exactly the same way. In fact, it won't. But the way that this could happen is via uh, a proposal called EIP-1559. And this will basically change the way that miners get rewards. And every time that a transaction gets processed, basically there'll be like a burn rate. So um, some, you know, X of Ethereum is just gonna be burned off the platform and disappear, right? Colcorn asks, so ideally in a crypto-based economy, how would crisis be responded to when liquidity is lost and people choose to hold their funds rather than spending? Again, another great question. Um, I'm not sure. I, I've kind of been trying to wrap my head around what the future looks like uh, if we suddenly, you know, if tomorrow there was a mass shift over to uh, cryptocurrency. I'm not really sure what would happen. Um, I need to do more reading about it, number one. And number two, I think it's hard to imagine because right now we have so much invested in tradi traditional finance. People have their social security, their 401ks, their retirement funds. Um, you know, those could theoretically just be wiped out um, if that were the case. Two questions. Have you looked into the theory of Bitcoin entering bull cycles after having after its having cycles? If yes, will you be exiting and re-entering the market during bear market phase? Um, <clears throat> I do. I have looked into that stuff or I'm familiar with it. Uh, what he's basically saying is that um, there's something called a halving in Bitcoin. And once Bitcoin reaches a certain point in its block size or its block number, um, the Bitcoin mining reward is going to be cut in half. I think this just happened last year. And this is basically why it's going to take so long to get to 20 to 21 million Bitcoin. I think right now there's, I think, 18 million plus in circulation, maybe a little bit more, something like that. But the block rewards are going to be reduced over time. So it's just going to continue to take longer to get to this 21 million number. So some people feel like this is uh, a good time to invest. You know, when when a halving occurs, price is going to go up because demand is going to go up and supply is going to go down. I don't really have any plans to invest or reinvest uh, during the halving cycles. I just kind of am counting on this stuff continuing to grow um, because I see see the potential in it. So personally, no. Uh, but you know, it's not a bad strategy for trying to to take profits. Um, second question. Oh, you already answered that. So not really is kind of the, the the answer, but it is definitely a lot of people uh, are considering that. So. <clears throat> Just to sum up, you know, the idea here is that your money appreciates over time instead of uh, depreciates. The US dollar is on track to become very inflated, uh, dangerously so in my opinion. Um, right now, we are getting ready to tack on an additional 
1.9 trillion dollars in debt to an existing staggering 27 trillion dollars in debt this is not sustainable um look i understand obviously this is some of this is necessary i know we have to we have to protect people in covid times and make sure that they can live and pay their rent and buy food and stuff but the problem is that just long term this is really damaging um every president promises to reduce the debt and then every time it goes up um this is really scary to me and um you know you can imagine a world where the u.s dollar is maybe not worthless but doesn't really get you a whole lot of buying power right so <clears throat> i think right now the u.s dollar is currently uh inflating at two percent roughly a year um that's really fast so i mean if anybody's bought a cheeseburger lately and it's cost them fifteen dollars i'm sure you can resonate with that sentiment so now i want to talk about some of the downsides obviously there's always a problem uh oh it looks like we have a question Let's see deflationary currencies inherently benefit lenders uh so for average americans with say mortgage and student loans would the deflationary side of crypto be beneficial i would assume so uh because if your loan rate you know you're going to pay more interest over time anyways so if your money is actually growing with that rate then you're probably going to have more buying power to basically pay off your loans right now you are kind of going to get screwed over your loans because over the next 10 years i just and i'm I, this is happening to me i'm doing my mba and i just took out a loan so i'm gonna have to pay that off over the next 10 years but in 10 years my dollar is going to be worth a lot less so you know i i think that this kind of helps solve a lot of those problems um but you know you're asking really good questions and i'm actually going to take a lot of your stuff and, and turn it into reading material so thank you um <clears throat> so what are the downsides to DeFi right now the current state of ethereum ethereum is kind of slow and expensive and this is essentially because the way the network was initially designed was also to have these upgrades uh, over time. But I don't know if it was ready for the kind of activity it's having right now. So the reason it's slow and expensive is because platforms like Uniswap and Aave have billions of dollars in locked value. I think overall, if you guys want to go check there's a really great website called DeFi pulse currently there's 33 billion dollars locked across DeFi platforms this is news to me i didn't i didn't know that this stuff was happening until like last month um so there's a lot of activity uniswap and ave alone um each i think have somewhere between four and five billion dollars being traded on their platforms so this stuff is happening but when activity is really high, Ethereum can't really handle the load. Right now, Ethereum is built to, to do about 15 transactions per second. It's fairly slow by you know Visa and MasterCard standards. So when people, a ton of people are trying to get their transactions in, um, the gas fees goes up. If you don't know, whenever you make a transaction on a th the Ethereum network, you have to pay a gas fee. These fees basically go to help pay the miners uh, and incentivize the network to basically continue running. Uh, when I first was doing stuff on Ethereum, these fees were like, I don't know, 25 cents. But now they're closer to, you know, I would say 
on average, you're probably going to pay somewhere between like five and $25, which is just simply too high, especially if you want to transact in low, low amounts. So basically, <clears throat> gas fees come up as, as network congestion grows, and this is obviously bad for the platform. Uh, nobody wants to wait minutes or hours for their transactions to be verified, and they also don't want to pay these high fees. Um, but the good news is ETH 2.0 is coming. So Ethereum 2.0 basically promises to change the way that the Ethereum network runs so that it becomes more scalable and cheaper. And <clears throat> there are already upgrades going out uh, as, as recent as last December, actually. Um, what they call the beacon chain was launched. And the beacon chain is basically the first step into scaling the Ethereum network. Um, this is phase zero. And people are hoping and are optimistic that phase one will come sometime this year, hopefully in the first half of 2021. And once this happens, Ethereum will basically be able to increase its, its throughput by 64 times. So this 15 transactions per second becomes around a thousand. So the Ethereum network is basically promising to get much, much faster over uh, the next couple of months, which is really, really exciting because there's all this traction, there's all this excitement uh, around this stuff, but it sucks because you can't really play around. Like I really want to play around, but I just, these, these fees are too damn high. And especially if you go and do something like a smart contract, uh, you try and interact with like your dot finance, sometimes the fees are like 1.5 ETH because there's so many transactions that are bundled up within it. And like, I, I can't afford this. Most of us can't, right? So this is gonna be a really exciting time because I think this is when you're gonna see adoption uh, really take off. So, <clears throat> but some of the other problems still, you're placing your trust in software. Uh, there's no central custodian that you can count on that you can call if you make a mistake. If I send money to the wrong place, that's it. <laughs> It's gone, right? So this is inherently a very scary thing. This is what we're talking about with user error. Um, you really have to be careful when you are doing stuff on the Ethereum network or really any blockchain network right now. And the last thing is, is just similar to this, lack of insurance. Um, nobody's there to protect your loss of funds. So if you lose your stuff, you lose your stuff. Um, I, have, I have made plenty of mistakes, I promise you guys. Uh, which is, you know, I've made them so I can tell you guys about them so you don't have to make those same mistakes. But, um, you know, these are the big, the big problems kind of plaguing this right now. But I'm not, I'm not scared that these things aren't going to be solved. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty confident that um, the way that they're moving and the way they're developing the network is going to be really, really cool long term. So how are we going to drive adoption, right? Right now, people are pretty, pretty pissed. Um, Wall Street kind of got exposed last week a little bit, and people are starting to realize that these centralized authorities that run our, our financial systems are not clean. Surprise. Um, you know, people are tired of getting fucked over uh, by the centralized systems that were built to basically oppress them, to not allow them to play the same game that everybody else is playing. Um, the veil is starting to fall and the system is being exposed. So what are people going to do when the US dollar is one day worthless? I'm not saying that's going to happen, but... It's already kind of happening in, in some respects. The US dollar is just going down and down. Would you YOLO 10K on ETH today? 
that's a really hard question to answer because you're essentially almost asking me if the price is going to keep going up. Um, here's what I'll say to you. Don't invest anything in crypto that you aren't willing to lose. Um, the market is still very volatile. The stuff is still really new. I would, relatively speaking, put this at like where we're at uh, compared to the internet. We're like maybe early 2000s internet. So that means the price could fall 50% tomorrow. I don't know. Um, what I will tell you is that I'm sure it will continue to grow and, and rise over time. So it, even if you end the year down, that doesn't mean in five years it's not going to be up. What are the technical challenges which cause throughput to be so low right now and in the near future? So um, I don't want to go too much into it because it's kind of complicated and this might be its own po like its own episode on itself. But <clears throat> basically right now, uh, the Ethereum network, they're, what they're called consensus protocol, is called proof of work and what this means is basically that when you broadcast a transaction to the network the miners the computers in the network are going to grab that transaction they have to solve this really complex puzzle once they solve the puzzle that transaction becomes immutable and they can never be changed again so the reason this is not scalable though is that you can only scale as you add computers to the network So there's just fundamentally there's a limit that they can do now. And this is just not scalable long term. Um, in order to go from 15 to 1,000 this way would, would be you know way slower, way more expensive, and it would use a lot more energy, which is another big concern with proof of work. This is actually also how Bitcoin works right now. But long term, uh, something called proof of stake will be the consensus algorithm. And basically what this means is that you will be asked to put up a large sum of Ethereum, like 32 is what it is, it's the minimum, and <clears throat> the network now knows that it can trust you because you've basically put up this Ethereum as collateral. So if you try to do any um, sketchy business, the network's just going to take your money for making mistakes. Uh, let's see, we had another question. Um, do you think Doge will get to 50 cents? Don't buy Doge, that's all I'm going to say. Any other questions? Yeah, I can briefly talk about the lockup phase. So uh, the lockup phase is what's happening now. That's the beacon chain. So basically everybody's been asked to um, come and stake their Ethereum uh, basically as a promise that they're gonna help be a validator in the future. And that's basically what's happening right now. So people are, are starting the early phases of this proof of stake work. Uh, they're staking their Ethereum to start processing transactions. <clears throat> and then eventually the network is going to have a bit of a hybrid proof of work, proof of stake. And then eventually it's going to be only proof of stake. And that'll be much more efficient and energy um, friendly. Um, but like I said, I, I think I'm going to do a more uh, in-depth episode on, on the consensus algorithms and how they work and basically the different kinds of uh, what they call distributed ledger technologies that are coming out. So to kind of sum up, DeFi is a better way, in my opinion. Um, this is a better way to do finance. It's a more fair way to do finance and um, to let everybody be involved kind of in whatever capacity they want. I really want to help educate people so that they're prepared for when the time comes. I don't know when this stuff is going mainstream. Uh, I can't predict it. I couldn't have predicted that Ethereum, you know, would have skyrocketed as much as it did in the last week. Uh, this This space is really hard to tell where it's going but the best thing that you can do is is learn about it learn about what's working what's not working 
who's ha you know who has the good projects who has the good teams those kinds of things the tech is going to get there um i don't know if it's going to be next year or five years from now or 10 years from now but when that shift happens it's going to be fast and it's going to be intense um that that's what i do think is going to happen um we're reaching a breaking point right now uh in our in our democracy uh, in our financial systems you know more than ever the the biggest ceos in the world are coming out against hedge funds and the people at the top and saying that you're not letting everybody play the game and now they're pointing to DeFi as a solution so there's a lot of traction right now and <clears throat> there's a lot of people that are interested so i i really want to just help people get involved and understand why this stuff is important um you know last thing i want to say really is just that we're heading in a dangerous direction and we need to change so like i said even if it's even if it's in a year or five years start preparing now it's like you're preparing it sounds like i'm i'm telling you guys to prepare for nuclear winter and store your assets um but in a way that's kind of what i'm saying uh prepare for a potential downfall of the u.s dollar um i don't know if that's going to happen directly but the value is going to go down it already is uh, especially with all the debt that we have so would you recommend someone participate in that in proof of stake I think it's up to you. Uh, th the only downside to proof of stake is um, if you do want to stake, right now you need 32 ETH. You can also join a staking pool. So there are a couple different um, platforms that are doing this. One is called Staker. Uh, I can't really think of too many off the top of my head. And <clears throat> so you can stake with any amount. The only thing is that you're going to have to lock your Ethereum up, Ethereum up when you do stake. So I think the minimum is one year. Uh, and then I think you can do two and three years. And I think you get higher yields if you do two or three years, something like that. Any insight about yield farming? What exactly it is and how does it function? Sure, I can do a quick overview of that. So <clears throat> yield farming is basically if you have a trading pair like Ethereum and USDC, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go provide liquidity to the pool uh, of this trading pair. So in order to do that, I'm going to put in equal amounts of ethereum and usd so if i put in one ethereum and that's 1700 usd well i should say usdc um i'm now going to get some percentage of this trading pairs pool so <clears throat> the thought process here is that you make money two ways one is you will earn off of the transaction fees that are taking place so every time a trade happens you'll get some tiny tiny percentage of it and then you also can earn if the money appreciates. So if Ethereum goes to $2,000, you are now both entitled to 2,000 USD coin, as well as whatever additional equivalent of USD, you know, or of ETH. So that might be, I don't know, 1.1 or 1.2, something like that. So because you purchased a percentage, when that number goes up, you actually get more of both of those assets. Oh my gosh, look at all those those biddies. Awesome. <clears throat> um, so yeah, this is pretty much all I got for you guys today. Um, I hope that this was a pretty good overview of decentralized finance and kind of why it's going to be important for the future. I've got lots of ideas for future episodes, so I really encourage you guys to keep coming back. Keep asking me questions. It really helps me uh, learn about what you guys want to learn about and also helps me learn. Um, sometimes it can be hard to figure out all of the things that I need to, to learn about. So um, that's really helpful. But if you guys had a good time today, I encourage you to follow, like, 
subscribe, do all that regular shit. Um, go follow me on Twitter. I'm always tweeting about this stuff. Uh, and, um, you know, honestly, just really excited to have people here. People excited that are uh, excited to learn about this stuff. Uh, I've been passionate about this for a really long time, and it now finally feels like the right time to to share my passion with the world. So thank you guys all for hanging out today. Um, I am going to be posting this on YouTube and Spotify and stuff. So if you guys want to come back and reference anything, you're more than welcome to. Um, it's been a pleasure and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys next time. All right. Thank you, everybody. Bye.